Hello, my name is Rain Gagan. I live in the Malvern Hills. In fact, uh, we moved here just before lockdown, so I'm still settling in. It's absolutely beautiful here. I'm a poet, prose writer and a performance coach. I'm going to read a selection of poems taken from both of my pamphlets, Apple Water Povel Panny and They Lit Fires, and a couple of new ones. The first poem is called The Lungoed Rom. Bare blistered feet, she walked over stone on grass through thicket and brush, in water, snow, flowers and mud. Her hair grew long, flowing like a river, tiny silvery fish latching onto each tendril, longing for the open sea. At night she slept in bushes, caves, beside trees. She dreamt of fire. She drank from streams, picked heather, lavender, rosemary for healing, exchanged them for bread, kept on walking. Her hair turned white, her bones thinned, her body bent over and her eyes grew weak. Still, she kept on moving. One early morning under a mottled sky, she stopped. The moon shone in her body. Light fell on the ground and she knew this was her Achintan. Achintan is the word for stopping place in the Romany language, the Romany jib. And I've been reading, researching and um, talking to my Romani cousins about our family and the path that they took. My mum was born in a gypsy wagon. My granny and grandfather moved into a house when my mum was 14. So the next poem is really about a memory of my grandmother's. A memory of the hop fields. She is in the front garden, bending low, picking bluebells, wearing her old red apron with the Spanish dancer on the front. She stands up, rubbing her lower back, her mind shaping a memory. The hop fields, her mother lean, strong, picking the hops as quick as a squirrel, her ballin plaits tied on top of her head, her gold hoops pulling her ears down. Ruddy cheeks, dry cracked lips, her father pulling poles, sweating, smiling, his gold tooth for all to see. At the end of a long day, she would stand on top of an apple crate, comb his hair, kiss his neck tasting of salt. He would pick her up, swing her high, low and say, you're the prettiest little chai there ever was. Bal is the word for hair, chai is the word for daughter or child. The next two pieces are triolets and I wrote these because I found out that when the Romanis were forced off the roads into houses, they were saddened by the fact that they could no longer hear the cuckoos sing. Coring Chiriclo. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing. I'm a Romany, always travelling from Huntingdon to Kings Lynn. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing since I was a chavvy in a sling. Summer, autumn, winter, ah, spring. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing. I'm a Romany, always travelling. And the second triolet is 
called Coring Chiriclo II, which means cuckoo. Gel on, me dad would say. Pack up your covels, we'll be on our way. Take our time, get to Froome's Hill by May. Gel on, me dad would say. The cuckoo's calling, untie the grey. Up onto the Varda, it's a cushy day. Gel on, me dad would say. Pack up your covels, we'll be on our way. Covels is belonging, grey is horses, Vardo wagons, cushy lovely. These poems were published in my latest pamphlet called They Lit Fires, Lenty Hatch O Yog. I'm going to recite a poem now, which I I know is very popular. It's it's a light-hearted poem, but um, it's about the hedgehog. And obviously nowadays, you know, we wouldn't eat hedgehogs. And I really love hedgehogs. But in the days gone past, when the Romani travellers would be out on the roads, they would be eating things like rabbits, shushi, and chickens, um, and hedgehog. It's called Hotchy Witchy. To bake an Hotchy Witchy, roll it in the clay, drop it in the embers of the yog. Go and sing a song, chase a sushi down the drum, do a little jig, jog, jog. When the clay is open, the spines will come away. What's left is sweet and tasty. Chank it while it's hot, it may be all you got. Gorge your food it's not. Chew your little jig, jog, jog. Chew your little jig, jog, jog. Jog, jog is another word for hedgehog, as is hotchy. The next poem is written from a, a young girl's perspective who at the moment doesn't go to school, but her cousin does go to school in London. And it's called Somewhere in Applewater Country. Me mum's cooking sushi stew, me dad's chin in the costes. I'm practising handwriting with a fine pencil. I'm looking forward to sending a proper letter to me cousin Louie. She's a Didikai and goes to school in London. Me dad calls it Royal Town and says he wouldn't go there not if you paid him. She has to wear a uniform, red and gold, but she can't wear her gold hoops. It's against the rules. If I ever went to school, me dad would have murder if anyone touched me hoops or me ears. And that's how it was really with the Romany family. If 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 the children were at school and the teacher saw that they had earrings, they would take them out. And of course, the, the gypsy mothers wouldn't be very happy. So they would go up to the school and march into the headmistress's office. The next poem, again, is, is really in honour of my granny, Amy Lane. And she was a flower seller for many, many years. And this is about the time when she used to take the train. She was allowed to take her barrow onto the train with her sister-in-law right up to Covent Garden and go to Nine Elms Market. This is a hyben. It's called Up Early. She walks the three-mile journey in sun, rain and snow, pushing her empty barrow through the station yard. But the guard is always there to greet her, He lost a hand in the trenches and she calls him a dear blessed man. Dressed in her green pinafore and coat, her side pocket tied around her waist and wearing a green and purple headscarf, she sucks peppermints. Pushing her barrow onto the ramp, she enters the carriage at the end of the train, standing all the way from Feltham to Waterloo. 
Once there, she walks swiftly out of the station and over Waterloo Bridge, then on to Nine Elms Market, where she buys the freshest, most colourful Lulardi. This is where she uses cunning to get what she wants, never paying the full price. She bumps into all sorts of characters. There's Joey who runs the cafe. He gives her tips on the horses. There's old Mrs Cray who sells tulips when they're in season, a relative of sorts. Spanish dancers, blood orange dahlias soaking in water. Oh, you can't beat them. She also loves carnations. How much do you want for these cars? The seller says, two pounds for you, Amy. I'll give you one pound fifty and not a penny more, and I'll have another two boxes. He tries charging her more, but she's not having it. She walks away. He calls her back. All right, Amy, they're yours. The barrow is filled box by box. She ties them tight with string, then says, I'm off home. By the time she gets home to Annas, she's worn out. A bowl of oxtail, a drop of whiskey, and she's ready for bed. Her husband wraps his arms around her waist. She says, go to sleep, Alf. I'm dookered. Another short, light-hearted poem. In my family, my grandfather played the spoons on his knees. But a lot of young, travelling people and old play bones and spoons. So this is called Bones and Spoons. Before I played the spoons, I played the bones. Before I played the bones, I listened to me father playing the spoons, to me grandar playing the bones. And as I tell you this, me son is listening, the bones they are awaiting, and the spoons, well, they're in the kitchen drawer. Okay, moving on to a poem that I wrote last year. It's about the time when my mother met my father. She was hot picking in Bishop's Froom in Herefordshire. He came from the Welsh Valleys. It's called Kamavtu, and I think by the end of the poem, you'll know what it means. Kamavtu. Mother was from Middlesex, father the Welsh Valleys. He was a pole puller, she picked the hops. One Friday night, under a sickle of moonlight, they sat on a bench in front of the Green Dragon pub. The landlord had filled an old bath with beer. The hoppers were dipping their mugs into the frothy liquid, which dripped onto their bare chests. They were smiling as they wiped their mouths on the backs of their arms. Father and mother sat quietly holding hands. He leaned in close, was about to kiss her cheek, when a voice hollered from the darkness. Philly, gel on, let's get back to the Varda. It's me dad, she said. She jumped up, straightening her long skirt, then quickly turned and whispered, Come have two, Jimmy. He didn't know many Romany words, but this one, well, he just knew. I'm now going to read a poem which was recently in an anthology with Culture Matters. And it's really about a ritual of washing the dead that my great aunt Celia was often called in to do. It's based on, on a true story of when she was called in 
to wash the body of her dead niece. A song to rest the tired dead in memory of Celia Lane. It is dusk. She has come to wash the body. A table is set by the bed. A bowl of lavender water, clean muslin cloths, a white towel. Too young for death, she thinks, as she removes all the clothing and jewellery from the body of her niece. She notices stretch marks on the thighs, how the breasts have dropped from feeding the chavis. Forty years ago, just been born, sucking at her dyer's breast. Taking a cloth, she dips it in water, squeezes it hard in her hand, sets about her task. Malts stand by the doorway, aunts, daughters, sisters and the dyer, singing in low, soft voices a song to rest the dead. She speaks quietly to her loved one as she gently cleans, lifting one arm up, then the other, holding it, placing it down carefully as if it was made of glass. The others won't move too close. It is mockery to do so. This woman who washes the dead now holds both feet, letting them rest for a while, blessing them for all the miles they have trod the earth. She dresses her niece in the finest of clothes, combs her dark tangled hair, places the gold chain and earrings in the palm of the right hand, puts the wedding ring back on the third finger of the left hand. Such small fingers. Bending forward, kisses them. You are ready now, my girl. Sov well. Okay. Another poem about the time when my granny and grandfather were in the fields and my mum was a baby. It's called The Strawberry Girl. On warm summer nights, they lay on thick blankets looking up at the stars. The door of the Varda left slightly open in case the Chavis woke. They would whisper about the time they first met in the strawberry fields. He remembered the blue dress she used to wear, how her hair was braided on top of her head, her sovereign earrings unlike any he'd ever seen. She would tell him how she was taken by his honest brown eyes and the way he took her hand and said, Shall we go for a stroll, Amy? He had picked a strawberry for her and it was the sweetest thing she had ever tasted. It was Cushti Bot that both he and their girl had strawberry marks on their backs. They laughed at how she could never get enough of the fruit. They called her the strawberry girl, their filly with the corn-coloured hair. He yawns loudly. Shh, go to sleep, Alf. They both settle down, his hand resting on her hip, her hand on his chest. And my final poem is not a Romney poem, actually. It's one that I wrote um, for an anthology called For the Silent, published by Indigo Dreams Press. I also like to write about nature and the fragility of life. And it is called I Am That Salmon. She dives deep into crisp, cold waters, splices through changing currents, springs up towards the sun, then down into welcoming watery arms. Above her, a fish or something foreign, shimmying in the light. A split second and she is there, opening her mouth in anticipation, closing it on a sharp, sly hook. Spawn-like bubbles pop around her. Flashes of blue, green, yellow fade into grey. 
pulled out of the river, she is thrown onto an alien bed. It is dry, coarse. She lies choking, quivering. Ripples of water spill onto the bank, never to reach her. I am that salmon as the hook is taken out of her mouth and I watch the light in her eyes slowly fade. Thank you so much for listening. Keep well, keep safe. Bye for now.